Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, the Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Got a lot to talk about today. Got like four or five updates from the last couple weeks to get through, so let's get right to it. First up, on February 12th, the FDA approved trilocycline, brand name Cosella, to prevent or minimize bone marrow suppression secondary to chemotherapy for extensive stage small cell lung cancer. The chemo they studied here is, is platinum etoposide or topotecan. Uh, so trilocyclib is a CDK4-6 inhibitor, pharmacologically similar to palbocyclib, ribocyclib. Uh, however, it's given IV, a little bit shorter half-life than those oral drugs. Uh, and really, you know, we all know that chemotherapy kills rapidly dividing cells and the bone marrow is rapidly dividing and that's why we see myelosuppression. What this drug presupposes is what if the bone marrow wasn't rapidly dividing? So the idea here is you give uh, trilocyclib uh, IV uh, each day prior to chemo. In this case, it's at least 30 minutes um, before chemo, but within four hours before. It's a 30-minute infusion, but given at least four hours before chemo. Uh, and then it, it causes the, the hematopoietic stem cells and progenitor cells in the bone marrow to enter G1 arrest. So they are not rapidly growing. Uh, they're quiescent. They're silent. Uh, and that lasts for uh, up to 32 hours. Uh, so then the chemotherapy comes in, uh, kills the cancer cells, uh, small cell lung cancer cells, uh, hopefully sparing some of the bone marrow cells, uh, which it did show. So that is uh, that is the approval. Now, the, the PI talks about this being a transient CD4-6 inhibitor. It's just got a shorter half-life, you know, and once the drug is gone for a while, CDK4-6 picks back up what it's doing. Um, it's got a half-life of, I think, 14 hours. Uh, palbocyclib is 29 hours. Ribocyclib is 48. Abemocyclib, 18. So it's just got the shortest half-life. And like I said, it's given IV. The dose is 240 milligrams per meter squared, but it comes in 300 milligram vials. So the average dose for an adult is going to be 480 milligrams. Just make these 150 milligram vials, people. Be a lot easier. Um, it does um, have some weird things in the, in the administration part of it. Uh, you, you can't wait longer than 28 hours between doses. So if you have somebody getting uh, carboplatin, etoposide, day one, then etoposide stays two and three, typical, you know, anthrocytomatizolizumab, typical small cell lung cancer regimen, extensive stage. You know, if you give your, your uh, trilocyclib at 8 a.m. on day one, you know, you got to give it before noon on day two. You can't go more than 28 hours based on the PI. And it's a little bit odd. If you miss a trilocyclib dose, let's say you miss the dose of trilocyclib on day two prior to etoposide, uh, then don't give chemo that day and you pick back up at the next scheduled day. I'm not sure why that is. Um, kind of an interesting approval uh, and study design here. So uh, they did three studies, uh, one and all of them are extensive stage small cell lung cancer patients, but three different regimens, either uh, carboetoposide atezolizumab, uh, just carboplatin etoposide without the atezolizumab or topotecan, and then with or without trilocyclib uh, IV before each dose. And, you know, the primary endpoint here is severe neutropenia or duration of neutropenia. In study one, which I'll kind of focus on, um, severe neutropenia occurred with the trilocyclib arm uh, only 1.9% of the time. I can't tell how this is defined in the PI, but it's, it's either grade 3 and 4 or just grade 4 neutropenia. Um, if you look at the phase 2 study, it would suggest it's just grade 4. Now, in the arm that didn't get trilocyclib, uh, the severe neutropenia was 49.1%. Uh, 
which is pretty high, right? So 50% versus 2%, you don't even need a p-value. You know that is statistically significant. Um, now, one of the things you have to ask yourself is, that's a lot of people with severe neutropenia. How does that compare to other uh, published reports of carboplatin etoposide and atezolizumab? Well, uh, the landmark Empower 133 uh, showed that grade 3 and 4 neutropenia occurred in only 23% of patients. Um, this is 49%. Maybe it's all grade 4. So that's a big discrepancy. Why would that be? Well, the protocol for the trilocyclob study mandated that patients could not receive primary prophylactic white blood cell growth factor, our favorite drug we talked about last week. So they couldn't get pegfilgrastim. Uh, now, in the phase two study published in 2019 in Annals of Oncology, they say this is standard of care, right? Now, if you had neutropenia, they could give filgrastim, apparently, and they could give blood and they could give platelets and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but the argument here for this drug that the company will make is this prevents bone marrow suppression in all cell lines, whereas pegfilgrastim really only helps preserve uh, the myeloid or the neutrophil, uh, the neutrophil line, and this could help with platelets and blood transfusion, and that doesn't really bear out in the data. You know, from study one, 13% required blood transfusion versus 28%. They didn't test that, so numerically, maybe there's some some preservation of preventing uh, blood transfusion. They don't report the platelet values uh, for study one. Um, so. At least in my practice, the, the extensive stage small cell lung cancer patients we see are really sick. Uh, they're older. They have COPD. And based on our, our, our guidelines from ASCO about who to consider growth factor, it, you know if they have a 20% risk of neutropenic fever, you give them primary prophylaxis with like pegfilgrastin. And to consider uh, if they have risk factors, and those would be age above 65, uh, you know, uh, concomitant lung disease like COPD. So so we do give a lot of prophylactic growth factor. And I think in Empower 133, where prophylactic growth factor was up to physician's choice, you saw a lot more of it, which is why you only saw a 22, 23% risk of grade three or four neutropenia incidence compared to 50% in this study. So not exactly an apple to apple comparison. Um, so, I, you know, I don't see recommending this drug for our patients when we already have so much experience with pegfilgrastin. Uh, now, if you look uh, at the study two, was basically the same thing. It was just platinum and etoposide. If you look at study three, topotecan, just for just for kicks here, severe neutropenia, forty point six percent, even with trilocyclob, versus seventy six percent without trilocyclob. Topotecan, pretty darn myelosuppressive. Uh, that five day regimen, and that's after they had platinum etoposide. So their bone marrow is beaten up here. All right. So you know the theory here is that by decreasing bone marrow suppression. By decreasing uh, bone marrow activity, less rapidly dividing, you spare it from the effects of chemo. That appears to be the case. Don't know that we need that. And of course, the big concern you should have right away is, well, if the trilocyclic makes the bone marrow less active and less susceptible to chemo, does it do the same thing to small cell, lung cancer cells? Great question. Um, those results are not reported in the approval and the package insert. However, the phase two study uh, in Annals of Oncology, smaller study uh, back in 2019, shows that numerically trilocyclob, the trilocyclic group had a little bit higher response rate, PFS. Not enough that maybe you, you care about that, but it doesn't appear that it does uh, impact the, the efficacy of chemo. And there's a long history of trying to minimize side effects of chemo uh, and minimizing the effectiveness of chemo uh, in oncology. Uh, so why would that be? Why would inhibiting CDK4-6 uh, help the bone marrow 
in terms of chemotoxicity, but not decrease the effectiveness of, of the cancer. That's assuming the phase three efficacy results, if they ever publish them, uh, bear this out. Well, you know, small cell lung cancer is growing really, really darn fast, and for cancer to grow really, really darn fast, it's gotta probably just not care about CDK4-6. Uh, it's like those normal cell cycle checkpoints, like CD4, CDK4-6 is, uh, they're there to prevent a mutation from being carried forward when the cell proliferates and divides. And the cancer cells don't care about that. They're just go, 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 go. They don't care if they make a mistake in the DNA transcription. Uh, so it, it, that makes sense that, uh, that this idea of trilocyclic would make the most sense uh, in very aggressive cancers. Okay. Now there is a, a little bit more to this trilocyclib story. So there's a, a study that's a couple years old now uh, using trilocyclib uh, in triple negative breast cancer patients. It's a phase two study. Uh, this was presented at ASMO in, uh, ESMO <laughs> in 2019 and updated their final overall survival results in 2021. So the idea here was giving trilocyclib IV before carboplatinum gemcitabine for triple negative breast cancer, weekly regimen, carbo AUC2 uh, each week, and gem 1,000 milligrams per meter squared. The idea was, could we reduce the bone marrow suppression? They didn't show that. They didn't show any decreased rates of, of neutropenia, which maybe makes sense because carbo AUC2, gem 1,000 weekly, you're not going to see a lot of neutropenia. You would expect to see a lot of thrombocytopenia, though. Uh, it didn't show any benefit with regards to sparing the bone marrow from cytotoxic effects of chemo. But surprisingly, there was increased progression-free survival and overall survival when the patients received trilocyclib. And they actually, kudos to them, they put this in the press release. Surprising, we didn't expect this. So why would this be? Uh, maybe it's just chance. It's a phase two study. Only, there are only 34 patients in the chemo-only arm. So you, you get a couple of those patients disproportionately ill or sick and that could easily explain uh, a modest overall survival benefit. There is a phase three study that they're hoping to use to get FDA approval that's starting up uh, this calendar year. All right, so that's trilocyclib. Not a drug I'll be recommending uh, anytime soon. We've got pegfulgrastim. We know pegfulgrastim. Plus trilocyclib has, uh, you know, potentially some drug-drug interactions. No QT prolongation uh, concerns, but it is an inhibitor of OCT2, uh, MATE1, and MATE uh, E2K. Uh, and cisplatin is a substrate. Cisplatin is a substrate for uh, one of those renal transporters in the kidneys. And the PI does warn uh, that there may be increased cisplatin nephrotoxicity due to increased retention uh, in kidney cells. Um, so don't go off using this for cisplatin etoposide in your limited stage small cell lung cancer patients. And that may be something people might want to do because limited stage small cell, you would treat with cis, platin, etoposide, and concurrent radiation. And we usually don't use growth factor with concurrent radiation due to risk of, of increased uh, thrombocytopenia. So don't use trilocyclic for limited stage small cell lung cancer. It's off-label. There's a risk of increasing your cis platin toxicity. Don't do that uh, unless you're on a clinical trial and you get you know informed patient consent for something like that. All right, the next uh, FDA approval to talk about was uh, recently, uh, the 22nd, uh, which was probably, f was it Monday? I don't know. Gosh, time just getting away. So this is semiplomab for metastatic non-small cell lung cancer in the first line setting in patients who have a 50% or greater expression of pdl one tumor proportion score. This is the same approval of pembrolizumab single agent um, same exact cutoff of 50% or more TPS uh, 
wonderfully, they use the exact same assay that pembrolizumab approved in their pivotal trial, the 22C3 PharmDx assay. Uh, this is Empower One, presented at ESMO 2020. Now, we could go back and forth, and you probably want me to tell you, you know, what the overall survival benefit is of uh, sinipilumab versus chemo versus uh, pembrolizumab versus chemo. These are different patients. You know, in the sinipilumab study, uh, the platinum-based chemo arm got chemo until disease progression. And, of course, we know that they should get chemo plus immunotherapy. Uh, so, again, outdated study. Uh, uh, in the Keynote 24, which is the pembrolizumab study, they only gave chemo for four to six cycles. Um, so, you know, some differences in obviously the treatment uh, and the control arms, difference uh, likely in the patient population, how many uh, are, are, say, Western versus Asian and things like that. So I'm not going to get into that. But what I will say is it is reassuring to see, uh, you know, this, you know, a second uh, efficacy study with overall survival with just immunotherapy. And Smiplab is a PDL or a PD1 inhibitor, just like pembrolizumab. It's it's uh, beneficial, reassuring, I should say, to see confirmation of this benefit. Uh, which one is better than the other? It's impossible to say based on these trials, uh, but that is reassuring. Um, I'll also mention in both of these studies, we don't see you know a big, we don't see a crossover in the overall survival of capomyocarbs like we see in some of the other chemo versus IO studies. I still just have a hunch that chemo plus IO is probably the best thing, even for those folks with a high PD-L1 expression. Um, but it's a, a very, it's a wonderful option for those folks who you're not excited about giving chemo because they're like ECOG-2 or maybe ECOG, uh, worse than that. Okay, now a couple quick updates of publications from uh, the last couple weeks in the New England Journal of Medicine. Just today, the 25th, uh, we had a publication of uh, Ida Kiptat, Idacaptogene, uh, Vic Lucell, or what uh, they say, Idacell, in relapsed refractory multiple myeloma. How refractory? At least three prior regimens uh, myeloma. And this is an anti-BCMA breast, not breast, B-cell maturation antigen, so an anti-BCMA CAR-T. It's a phase two study. I think the impressive thing is they enrolled 140 patients, and 128 received the drug, uh, which is pretty pretty good for CAR-T studies. That's you know, it's a pretty high percentage of patients enrolled who ended up receiving the drug. There may be some, they may have done some things in the enrollment to, to make that look better. 73% response rate, similar to what we see with other CAR-T studies. 33% CR8, uh, MDR5, uh, so minimum residual disease uh, at a t level of 10 to the 5th, or 10 to the negative 5th, 10 to the 5th, yeah. 26%. Uh, pretty good median duration response, 10.7 months. Uh, you know, we'll see with longer follow-up. We, you know, you would love to see. Like the the dream here is you see those progression-free survival curves flatten out and plateau after, you know, a year to two years. Uh, and we're seeing long-term durable remissions. Not sure we've seen that yet with our CAR-T and myeloma like we have in ALL and, uh, and lymphomas. Okay. Uh, next, uh, we have some updates for our genitourinary folks. So on the the fifth, sorry, the fifth, the twelfth of February, uh, we had in the New England Journal of Medicine the uh, phase three study of uh, infortumab vidotin. Uh, now this was approved last year for metastatic bladder cancer in a third line setting based on overall response rate. I think it was about forty percent overall response rate. Uh, this uh, is the pivotal or the confirmatory phase three study comparing uh, infortumab vidotin to chemo, either docetaxel, paclitaxel, or vinflunine, which is not available in the U.S. And it, it did; it, can, it showed an overall survival benefit. The median OS 
was 13 months versus 9 months roughly, so decent uh, median OS improvement, hazard ratio of 0.7, comes in a little 56 to 89, or 0.56 to 0.89. So, you know, know, reasonable 30% decrease in the hazard of death over the course of the study. Uh, Pretty nice. Uh, you know, it's easy to bash on the FDA when they approve a drug based on accelerated approval and a surrogate endpoint like response rate, like they did for Infortimabidotin last year. In this case, they were ahead of the curve. We do see the OS benefit confirmed um, in patients who had already received platinum-based chemo and uh, immunotherapy. So this kind of supplants this as third-line treatment of choice for these folks with, with metastatic bladder cancer. And then the following day on February 13th, uh, we get publication in uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine of lenvatinib plus Pembro versus sunitinib for first-line treatment of metastatic renal cell carcinoma. This is the CLEAR study. Now, the title doesn't talk about the other arm, which was lenvatinib everolimus, which did not show an improvement versus sunitinib. But the lenvatinib and pembrolizumab did show improved overall survival versus sunitinib. Now, we know the story at this point if you're a listener to Oncofarm. you got to go look at the force. Uh, plots to see the subgroup overall survival, okay? Uh, because we've seen over and over again, whether exitinib pembro or nivolumab, uh, cabozantinib, uh, or even ipinevo, uh, you know, sudenitinib single agent is has proven to be tough to beat from an efficacy standpoint in the first line setting. Pazopinib is better tolerated and just as good, but really no one's shown anything's better than just a, a VEGF TKI in the first line setting for our favorable risk metastatic renal cell carcinoma patient. So if you look at the IMDC risk criteria, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to uh, go by favorable, intermediate, poor risk. So I just want you to listen to the numbers first, all right? So a number, these are hazard ratios, right? So a number above one suggests sunitinib is better. A number below one suggests lenvatinib, pembro is better. And I'm going to go favorable, intermediate, poor. And you'll see there's a clear, uh, there's a, uh, you know, a clear uh, trend as you get poor risk disease, there is better, there's greater benefit when the, with the combination immunotherapy, VEGF inhibitor. So 1.15, favorable. 0.72, intermediate risk. And then 0.3, favorable, or poor risk, all right? So, uh, and the only one of those hazard ratios, and this is a subgroup analysis, okay? So smaller numbers. The only one of those hazard ratios that does not cross one is the poor risk, where the hazard ratio is 0.3. So there's, you know, there's a 70% improvement uh, or decrease. There's a 70% decrease in your risk of death if you get lenvatinib pembro if you're poor risk. All right, so numerically, this is the same thing we've seen is there's a clear line. It actually looks like stairs. Uh, it looks like big stairs that you could walk up when you start from poor risk is the first step. Then you go up to intermediate, then to favorable risk if you look at the force plot. So again, a clear trend that we've seen um, that when you we you know combine you know combining uh, immunotherapy uh, plus a VEGF inhibitor doesn't beat a VEGF inhibitor load in favorable risk disease. It does appear to when you combine intermediate and poor risk disease for these metastatic renal cell carcinoma patients. All right, that you're caught up now. You're caught up uh, for uh, for the hour. So thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNip. Follow the podcast uh, on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.